0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Lee Eisenstadt about effective leadership characteristics, particularly the importance of self-awareness and humility. Hello, Lee Eisenstadt, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. It's great to have you with me today.
1: Thanks a lot, John. I'm glad to be with you.
0: I'm so excited to have the chance to uh, talk with you and explore some important topics. Uh, Before we dive on in for our discussion, though, I wanted to share with the listeners uh, a brief introduction. Uh, Lee Eisenstadt brings more than 35 years of diverse leadership, finance, and operations experience to the clients of the Leading with Courage Academy. The CFO of SC Johnson has described Lee as a well-rounded businessman uh, because he's worked for more than two companies and more than two functions in more than two countries. Lee focuses on helping individuals and teams in employee and family-owned organizations realize peace of mind and confidence from being more effective leaders and managers. This is accomplished with leadership workshops and assessments and a process for succession planning offered through the Leading with Courage Academy, which are based on his fourth book, Leading with Courage, The Nine Critical Behaviors of Effective Leaders and Managers, published in June of 2019. Prior to founding Leading with Courage Academy, Lee was a founding partner of L. Harris Partners, LLC, during which he surveyed and interviewed several thousand clients and professional service firms. He has been a chief operating officer of a top five and a top 50 CPA firm. And Lee spent the majority of his career, 22 years, with SC Johnson family of companies, including the consumer products company, the SC Johnson Family Office, and Johnson Outdoors Inc. in the U.S. and Western Europe frequently as the right hand to the leader of the division subsidiary or country in which he was assigned. During his two European assignments with SC Johnson, Lee lived and worked in Paris, France for five years and had responsibility for finance, accounting, logistics, IT, and customer service in five countries within the European Union. Lee also spent six years with Baxter International Inc in various finance and accounting positions. Uh, What a tremendous background. I'm uh, so pleased to have the chance to talk with someone with your depth and breadth of experience in so many different places.
1: Well, I'm glad to be here, John. But in listening to that, I see I've got to shorten it up because now no. there's no time left to talk about anything else.
0: No, it's wonderful, and it's great for the listeners to have a sense of your um, of your expertise, but also, like I said, your your both your depth and your breadth of experience across functions, across organizational types, and in different countries. I mean, frankly, that's the world we live in. We're in a, a incredibly interconnected. Globalized society and businesses have to learn how to function effectively in a globalized space, and we need to be able to help leaders function uh, within, you know, within diverse organizations and, and operating uh, across uh, time and place. And so, uh, I, I think it's a tremendous um, opportunity to talk with someone with your with your background.
1: Um, let's,
0: it is a let's real
1: differentiator, I think. Uh, so yeah. often we you know, run into people, I run into people that you think are in organizations that are going to be very well-traveled, very diverse. And many of them haven't even traveled to Europe, more or less work there, for example. The other thing it did for me is I don't just have to say, gee, I understand business and I understand different business models. I've got the background that proves I've done it. So, for example, my time in Europe, there were five countries that I was responsible for and five different business models. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's more than just saying it. It's, I've actually got-
0: Yeah, and, and, and the truth of the matter is it's incredibly complex, right, to work in that kind of an environment uh, and everything that entails. And so I, I think that brings a richness to the discussion that we're gonna have today. Um, And one of the things I hope we can discuss is your your Leading with Courage Academy and your book, Leading with Courage. Um, I'd love to have that kind of woven through uh, some of the various topics we discussed today. But as we get started, can you just share briefly what you consider to be the driving force behind your practice? What really makes you tick and why are you doing it?
1: Sure. Sure, with the background I've had, it became really clear to me or it's become clear to me as I've gotten more experience that one of the challenges, one of the reasons organizations and the people in these organizations uh, have so many issues, it's just a deficit of self-awareness. And if we can work on improving that, we would go a long way to just having Better relationships, you know, a a lot of the problems that we have today. And I I can give you really two quick examples of how I, one is where I've benefited from increasing my self awareness, and it was really the impetus for the practice. And the other was just a client that uh, is a great example of a lack of self awareness. In my case, I went to something called Center for Creative Leadership, which, if any of your viewers, readers, listeners know about it, it's a very intense self awareness program on leadership. I came out of it at the end and they said, if you want to get where you want to go, you've got some blind spots and you're going to have to get over them. And the biggest one was I was not comfortable talking about myself. Many finance people are this way. They think it's shameless self-promotion. I won't bore you with what all I did, but I started talking to a lot more people about my interest, which was an assignment in Europe. I had never said that. I just thought if I did good work and provide a good service, it would happen. Well, within nine months of that program and going out and talking to the CFO of Europe, the VP of finance, uh, different country managers, I did get that assignment in Paris, uh, and it lasted five years. So if I hadn't become self-aware of a blind spot I had, being comfortable talking about myself, a game-changing, life-changing experience wouldn't have happened for me and my wife the other example. Can I, can I
0: just uh, yeah. note, note something there? I think that's great. Uh, not only did you touch on the importance of critical self-reflection and self-awareness, that, that's, I think that's an essential part of effective leadership. Um, but you, then you also talked about how you then communicated your desires um, to others around you. Uh, the, the truth is most organizational leaders, not all, but most want to empower their employees they want to give opportunities they want to help people succeed but they you know they don't have a crystal ball and they don't always know um now I, organizations and leaders should proactively seek out that kind of information they should try to understand their employees and they should try to seek you know try to keep their finger on the pulse of their employees um, so i don't want to remove any response you know responsibility from them to do those things, but. Uh, on our side as employees, we also need to, to speak up for ourselves, right? We need to share our successes. We need to share our wants and our dreams um, because oftentimes our managers or leaders up the, up the line, they just don't know. They don't know what you want and they don't know that that's something that you would value. And so the fact that you both were reflective on that and then you were proactive about it, then like you said, it led to a life-changing experience.
1: And those are two of the critical factors in change. Once you've got that insight, you have to do something with it and sharing it with others. What you're trying to do, what you want to accomplish is is one of those big steps. And it's, it takes people outside their comfort zone. They don't like doing that. Um, The other example that I had for you of a lack of self-awareness was a client a professional services firm that had retained us to do a client loyalty assessment. And we went out and, assessed how loyal their clients were to the firm. And it was a little surprising, 49% of the clients said they were loyal to the firm, which is low, we'll typically see upper 60s. And when we see whatever the client says, the partners in firms tend to be under and I expected five to 10 point lower score by the partners on how loyal do they think their clients are to the firm. When I tell you only 1% of the partners thought their clients were loyal to the firm, I'm not kidding. 1%. I, oh. They thought everyone was out the door. Mm-hmm. And they said, what does that mean? I said, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. You're not Because you're so afraid of you know, their impression of you, you're not taking price increases. You're not charging for out-of-scope work. You're not uh, asking for referrals. You're not doing anything to grow your business. versus 49%. Now you would think, I mean, that was a great example of lack of self-awareness. And then when you know the end of the story, they didn't do anything as a result of that. We identified millions of dollars of opportunity that they didn't disagree with, but because they didn't want to go out and talk to their clients, because they were just content, complacent with what was going on, they haven't done anything
0: yeah and and perhaps do you feel like they didn't trust the data you were sharing with them, or what what do you no. think the reason was?
1: no they they trusted it they and we hear that frequently. they'll challenge the data first. It's like a van Gogh painting. they're looking for that one brush stroke that's out of place and say ah, see it's a it's a fraud. No, I think they were they were successful at doing what they were doing, and they said, you know to do what you're suggesting to change that one percent. 49% gap to close it, we have to go out and talk to our customers more, to our clients. We have to get much more personal with them. And that's not what they like doing. And yeah. they were making enough money that they said, it's not worth it.
0: So it, it, tru- it truly just, was just complacency.
1: <laughs> it was complacency, but it was just this lack of self-awareness yeah. or lack of awareness that there was this huge opportunity for them. And they didn't want to take it.
0: Okay. Well, so, so clearly self-awareness is important. Um, what do you feel are like some of the, the most important characteristics of a successful leader?
1: Yeah, in my book, and, you, uh, and it's part of the uh, Leading with Courage Academy practice, I identified nine uh, critical behaviors of effective leaders. And we even offer a free self-assessment of those on our website. We've had several thousand people take it. And if anyone goes to our website, lwcacademy.com, they'll find that there. And they're happy to take you. They aren't going to get bombed with a bunch of emails. It's totally free. But you'll find out which of the nine behaviors you may have to be on the alert for. But some of them, uh, and those nine behaviors look like uh, they, they respect the culture. They don't come in and say, we got to change the culture right away. Uh, They don't stick with underperformers too long, which is something most entrepreneurs and leaders are guilty of. They stick with people, clients, customers too long uh, when they've proven that they aren't worth it. Uh, Or they they come in with the answer. Rather than asking, what do you think? They come in with the answer. So there are these nine behaviors. And those are the things we can see about their behavior. But the, the other characteristics are, are they humble? Uh, you know, and the best ones I found don't know how good they are. And that's what is so great about them. And they have a humility about them and don't think they know it all. And they, they, they probably have some of those blind spots that we've identified, because uh, if anyone tells me they don't have any, I don't believe them. Uh, we've all got them. And they just haven't asked enough people, what could I be doing better? Uh, they're vulnerable. So when they find out they've got a blind spot, It was like me. You go out, you proactively try to address it. Um, They admit they don't have all the answers. The other thing is they tend to be generalists. They do not tend to be specialists in one area. And so that they are are very broad-minded, broad-experienced people. Uh, Another characteristic is they're terrific at building relationships. They're all-star relationship builders, They believe in the culture, which is something I said earlier, as well as innovation and they're champions of that. Uh, They will protect the culture and purge out people, if you will, or practices that aren't consistent with it. And last, and this is the toughest one, they're courageous decision makers. And that one's really hard to draw a line in the sand, let's say, and stick with it. Not, Not that you can't change your mind when there's more information or better information, but to flip flop isn't good. But the challenge for this one, why it always, people always score lowest on it is, we all wanna be liked. And so we don't wanna say no to anyone. So it's easier to say yes to everybody, but I can assure you, we'd rather, most people would rather be disappointed that you said no than surprised that you don't follow through on your commitment. So those are, I think, some of the characteristics I've seen we find of the best leaders.
0: yeah that's that's a great list um let's drill down a little bit on the the i i would term it i, I phrase it as intellectual humility um and you you said a couple of things related to that that they they uh, didn't think they had all the answers so they would seek input right that they were humble um and that they didn't think it, their ego wasn't so big that they You know, we're constantly parading themselves around as um, as the person with with all the answers, right? Um, I I think that's so important for organizational leaders, really, at any level of the organization, uh, for a number of reasons. One is simply no one individual person uh, has all the information, right? And so whether they think they do or not, they don't. Uh, And so when you get someone who who just makes snap decisions on things uh, without seeking the input of others in their team without you know uh, uh, searching out expertise where appropriate without getting supporting data when you have people making decisions that way uh, it doesn't show their humility Uh, they tend to make bad decisions and and it can harm a lot of people so there's that you know in terms of the quality of the decision making there's that problem but in terms of empowering your employees, engaging your employees, and helping them f- feel bought in to your vision and mission of what you're trying to accomplish and, and feeling, you know, and, and having a, a positive, sustainable culture, helping them feel heard, you know, in terms of your employees and how you manage them, it's so vital that you do that. Uh, and okay. yet my, my experience has been with, with uh, most organizational leaders they tend to rise because of their expertise, not because of their generalist um, or systems thinking abilities, uh, and they tend to rise because of their confidence and because of their assertiveness. And not that confidence and assertiveness are bad, but if they're not tempered with s- some humility, um, then it can be detrimental. Um, how, how has, what's your experience been in relation to some of those
1: Oh, it, it's absolutely that. I mean, what we find and where we spend a lot of our time is helping organizations uh, identify the gaps between where they are and what they want to be. How do you create a healthier organization? It's not about how you become smarter as an organization than that, you know, I'm not here to help you get better at finance or marketing or managing the supply chain. There's plenty of other people that can do that and do it better than we do. But when you get to organizational health, and by that, I mean, every is there a high level of trust among everybody? Uh, do you hold each other accountable for your commitments and your results? Is there, uh, those would be two of the biggest elements that we can identify in doing assessment, talking to the individuals in the organization, doing assessments. Are you a high-performing organization? Are you a micromanager? Uh, we have over... 40 different assessments we use. Uh, some of them are self-assessments, good number of them, which I don't put as much stock in as I do 360s, where I go out and ask others, how am I doing? How am I showing up? Uh, and when you marry those two together, the other people's perceptions, which is the only thing that really matters, and your own perceptions, that's when the magic happens. If you get with someone who is open to change, is willing to uh, listen to feedback, Uh, makes all the difference in the world. And then you create a healthier organization with higher levels of employee engagement. And if you don't have that, I don't know if you, you know, if you have a sustainable business. Uh, So that's where we focus our time. That's what we do.
0: Yeah, Yeah, well, I totally agree. I don't think, I don't think you do have a sustainable business when that's lacking um, because you just have employee churn, right? And, you know, in the COVID-19 world, where we have crazy high unemployment and just all of the uncertainty. You know, we don't have the same labor market strain that we did even two months ago. But for the most part, you know, we've in over the last, certainly over the last five years or more, um, it's been a really hyper competitive labor market. It's been hard to get good people. And so you can't just churn through people. You can't afford to do that as an organization. Um, and for a variety of reasons, that's that's not a sustainable model. And yet, so many organizational leaders lead in such a way that they're they're creating the context for just that to happen, uh, because they're not um, helping their people feel empowered. They're not helping them feel a part of what's happening. Uh, they don't, you know, they they don't feel like they belong. They don't feel like they're heard. They don't feel like they have the opportunity to to fulfill their potential. And, and that's detrimental to the long-term health of any organization. Well,
1: and we saw it. It's not so much right now, uh, but when there was very low unemployment. Uh, well, let's look at, you know, like 2008, where no one was leaving a job. They were scared, you know, of losing their job. And we would go in and say, you know, <clears throat> we would talk employee engagement with leaders. And they said, well, you don't have a problem with turnover. Well, of course you don't. No one's leaving because they're afraid to leave, but are they are they happy? Are they productive? Do they want to be there? And it's the same today.
0: And, and what happens? What happens once things like in two thousand eight? Once the recession starts to to uh, so once we start to get out of that, then p- people do have options, and they're going to remember how they were treated. <laughs> um, well, they'll
1: remember that, but then they also say, "Well, it's it's like a lot of things. It's the, the pain of change." to go to a new employer is much greater than stay in here. I may not like it here. I may be treated like a farm animal, but you know, I don't know what the other the grass isn't necessarily greener. We have the same issue going on today. You have a workforce that's remote that is, you know, you, you can't check on them that easily. And if for you to say, oh no, we don't have turnover. Well, one, you know, people are just afraid of losing their jobs again. And, you know, you can jump from one place to another, but the grass isn't greener. It's probably just a different shade of brown. And you're much better off investing in employee engagement and improve their productivity, improve how well they innovate. Are they a team? Is there trust among all of them? And that is all proven. Uh, that isn't something new we're bringing to the market, but we do have tools that, that help folks with that. But it's, it's surprising how most leaders don't want to, it's like grabbing the third rail. They just don't want to know the answers because they know if they ask the questions, they're going to have to do something, and not yep. doing anything with the data is worse than just even not asking. But yeah, uh, yeah, I wish I could tell you we were busy as could be helping people understand what their employees are thinking about, but we aren't. We got capacity.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I th- I think uh, it's the age old problem of organizations. Um, it's and it's not unique. To a recession or a global pandemic, um, when when the economy is good, when the economy bad, all organizations need to be focusing on these things. And sometimes they just feel like they have more budget or more time to it to attend to it. Um, but but it's always an issue. It's always a challenge. And and organizations need to be thinking. You know, if they're if they're trying to think in terms of long long term. Um, sustainability and long, long-term strategy, they, they need to be considering these questions and being proactive.
1: And when times are good, they say, oh, there's money available for this. And so they, or we, we don't need to do this right now, leadership development. And when times are tough, they're saying, well, oh, the budget's tight. You know, we, we can't afford it. Right, and right. I, my peers are all saying, no, now is the time to do it. Now is when you need it probably more than ever. And it's a shame. I mean, I've got one client who was supposed to do a strategic plan uh, this June in a few months. And I got a note from them just last week saying they've put that off for a year because the environment is so you know, uncertain right now. And I'm, I'm going, no, now is when you need to do that strategic plan. Maybe it's not a five-year plan. Maybe it just be a three-year plan. But to not do one, is such a huge mistake but they you know are going to do what they want to do i can tell them i can tell them the best advice would be do something now a, a poor plan you know i'd rather you do the plan and execute it poorly than to not do any plan and you know just kind of drift along but yeah. they uh, you know
0: yeah Well, good. Um, In in the last couple of minutes we have together, uh, maybe you can just share a little bit of of what you're currently working on and what you're excited about.
1: Yeah, we got a number of things going on. Probably the biggest, we were ready to launch a new program uh, that was really, it's ideal now to help get employees re-engaged with the organization's purpose, their culture, uh, their whole uh, reason for being. uh, We we were going to launch it, a series of four four four-hour workshops but no one's doing those anymore so we're scrambling to do it in a virtual way and it's all about character-based capitalism culture of leadership culture of ownership and it all comes down to the overarching theme is how do you make more money by doing what's right for your key stakeholders and so we've got a great program for that it's based on a book by a chicago author that hasn't been even published yet it's like a patrick lencioni fable about two companies and how they take different paths and the different results they get. And it's it's really a nice program and we're just getting ready to launch that uh, virtually for organizations. Um, the other thing that has me really excited, we continue to focus mostly on employee-owned and family-owned businesses. Uh, they really understand the need for culture, communication, leadership development, and succession planning, which are the really the pillars of our business. So we focus a lot on them and that new program I mentioned is ideal for newer, newer ESOPs or family-run businesses. So we've got uh, just a lot of great ideas. Now we just have to get wait for things to unthaw or you know unfreeze a bit
0: and we're yeah. going to be in good shape. Well, that's that's wonderful. And, and where can my listeners go to find out more about your programs?
1: Well, certainly uh, our website, lwcacademy.com or... Just give me a call, or send me an email, lee at lwcacademy.com, or reach out to me. Uh, you'll find all our contact information on the website. So feel free, again, uh, uh, do that. And uh, we'd be happy to, even if you just need a sounding board. I mean, I'm. Uh, that's usually where the best conversations start, where the best client relationships begin. So I'm not here pushing. I, I would take that leadership assessment if, if you want uh, that's a freebie. You can start to get to know us that way.
0: So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lee. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Um, we, we just don't have enough time to, to go any deeper right now on any of these topics, but I hope that perhaps we can have a chance to, to have further discussions in the future. Um, and I'd love to have you back on uh, at some future I'd date. enjoy
1: that, John. This was fun. It always goes by so quick.
0: It but does. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you so much. And I hope you stay safe and healthy and have a great week. You
1: too. You take care.
0: We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine,